Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello and good afternoon. My name is Dr. Patrick O'Reilly. I'm a clinical psychologist and an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at UCSF Medical School. I'm also the chair of the member-led forum on psychology at the Commonwealth Club, and I'm pleased to be your moderator for today's program. NAMI, an organization that's very important to me, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. What started as a small group of families sitting around a kitchen table in 1979 has blossomed into the nation's leading voice on mental health with an association of more than 500 local affiliates. To speak about NAMI, it is my honor and delight to introduce today's Commonwealth Club speaker, Ms. Gigi R. Crowder, Executive Director of NAMI Contra Costa. So please welcome Ms. Crowder. And thanks for being here. You're absolutely correct. Mental health is definitely a very important subject matter that we should be talking about. And today I'm going to share with you a little bit more information about what we do across the nation to support those who are living with mental health challenges. So I'm going to get my slides up now. I want to share that um, mental illness affects individual in a variety of different ways. But right now, as we're experiencing this COVID-19 pandemic, it becomes much more important. So we really appreciate the Commonwealth Club for giving us an opportunity to share with you today. Who I am, I'm a native of Oakland, California. I'm the mom of identical 28-year-old sons, Armand and Cameron, and I'm the current director of the executive director for NAMI in Contra Costa County. So we've been um, at it now for quite a while. You'll get the actual date as I move along the slides, but we're committed to improving health outcomes for individuals and their families who are impacted by mental illness, primarily we're working with those families who have the most are most impacted, meaning their loved ones live with the most severe mental illnesses, and they seek us out for support. We're currently advancing our efforts to promote a non-police response for those experiencing mental health crisis. Our mission at NAMI and across uh, the nation, all of our NAMIs carry the same mission statement, is to provide support outreach, education, and advocacy to individuals living with and affected by mental illness. Some of us who are directors lift up one thing more than others. I think I'm pretty well known for lifting up the advocacy piece, although we will share with you some of the um, educational programs we have in place, outreach, and support. Our uh, advocates are really committed, and guess what? They're all volunteers. So we now in Contra Costa County have a contract with the county, but it's to do what? Advance our effort with recruiting more volunteers. And it's very important for us in Contra Costa County to take a look at our county and hire our volunteer coordinators who do the recruitment for these volunteers, hire them as they reflect the county. We have done a great job of removing both language barriers as well as geographical barriers by having our staff actually cover the full county. So what are the five most common psychological disorders? When we start talking about mental illness, often individuals are not really clear on what a mental illness is, but it's the anxiety disorders, their mood disorders, 
who we help most are individuals who live with schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders. Those are the individuals who run into a lot of trouble because we don't have a society that clearly understands what it's like for an individual to move on in their life and then be hit at usually between the ages of 16 and 25 with this medical condition that really impacts them and causes them to have a lot of difficulty with maintaining the structure of their life. And there's, you know, symptoms that come along with that. So that's the uh, group that we work most with, those with anxiety disorders, mood disorders, and um, psychotic disorders. Then there's individuals who live with dementia. That's actually also a disorder as well as eating disorders. And we support individuals in each of these areas. Mental illness by the number. So mental illness impacts one in five adults in their, in, in their life. So we at NAMI recognize that. And so we're there to support people, whether they're willing to share what's going on or if they're getting supported by a family member who reaches out to us and, and is seeking support. One in 25 U.S. adults experience a serious mental illness. So those are the mental illnesses that I shared before. Schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, all of those really greatly impact. And more and more we're hearing individuals get a diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder that kind of mirrors the combination of both bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And individuals have some of the symptoms of um, delusions, hallucinations, et cetera. Remember, these are medical conditions, so there should not be a blaming of individuals for having the diagnosis. One in six U.S. Uh, adult uh, children, I'm sorry, age six to 17, also experience mental health disorders, and so we have programs in place to support them in, as well. 50% of all individuals within their lifetime for 50% of the individual, it affects them by the age of 14 and 75% by the age of 24. So often when parents get in contact with us, they've seen some signs by the time the child was 14, they would be thinking maybe something's not quite right. But a lot of times individuals start experiencing the difficult time where they're in their college years, away from college. I got a phone call earlier today, a young man was headed to play basketball and his mom called and let me know that she had to go get him. So she had to examine, is this happening now because of COVID? Once I talked to her a little bit more, it was obvious that he had some other challenges earlier in life and actually had a diagnosis of ADHD. So he had been struggling before. He had an IEP, Individualized in Educational Plan, but his symptoms that had psychotic features began as he went away to college to start his career as a basketball champion. Suicide, sadly, is the second leading cause of death amongst individuals between the age of 10 to 34. And sadly, because of COVID-19, we've seen an increase in completed suicides, as well as more attempts, as well as younger ages and across the ethnic, ethnic um Demographics, a uh, major increase, which we're watching. And at NAMI, when we see a problem, we try and put solutions in place to support individuals when they're having a difficult time. So as I shared before, the impact of COVID-19 on mental health has been devastated. 36% of Americans 
took a survey, a reliable survey, and they said that it has seriously impacted their mental health. And so you can ask yourself, oh, why would someone? Well, because we're all experiencing something different from our norm, our day and structure and how we uh, take care of ourselves has to be shifted. So depression and and anxiety for most individuals, it thrives on social isolation. And anytime you have a disruption in your routine, some of us has the skill set to try and put things in place, but there are so there's so much uncertainty right now that uh, even our former first lady Michelle Obama came out, and I really applaud her for that for saying she's having some minor mental health challenges because of this prolonged um, pandemic, which carries so much uncertainty. So our private practitioners have uh, also acknowledged that they're seeing a huge uptick in new clients, people seeking out treatment. Now, they don't always say that it's specific to COVID-19, but they're acknowledging they need support. And uh, sadly, law enforcement has also seen more incidents of domestic violence, substance use, et cetera. And so all of this is uh, definitely affecting mental health and our how we operate in the world today is so vastly different from a year ago that we all probably have some things that have caused more anxiety, maybe even depression. And so as a, as a, as a community, we have to work together and our NAMI affiliates are there to support individuals. Sometimes I get questions around why don't people just go get treated for it? Well, I believe that stigma is the number one reason that individuals who live with mental health challenges sometimes think about really negative words that are called, that are used for people who live with um, medical conditions, right? And so the fear of being found out that they may live with it will keep them from going. The shame associated with it. For whatever reason, in a lot of our, our U.S. culture, there are symbols of individuals being weak when they seek out support. And so the fear and the shame keeps a lot of people from seeking out services. And then there's also a lack of insight about what a mental illness is. So a lot of times when we're working with communities and talking with family members, you kind of get a sense that that could be going on, but they don't have an insight. And so a lot of times uh, parents will come in with their children or they'll call and they'll talk about the young person and they'll share symptoms with me. And, you know, we do not give out. We're not, NAMIs are not um, treatment centers, but we have all been there before. So most individuals who volunteer at NAMI, they volunteer because they've gone through a horrific experience of identifying that someone that they love and care about lives with mental illness, and they don't want to have others have to experience and learn things the way they have. So they volunteer, and it's kind of their way of giving back and supporting individuals to have an easier time of it. So being aware of mental illness will reduce the stigma, the fear, and the shame if we all understand that uh, mental illness is a medical condition. And yes, there's things like trauma and exposure to violence and all of those that might be precursors, but they're still a medical condition. Distrust of systems is often the reason why individuals, they don't want to take the medications. And there is some communities that have a pretty good reason why they would distrust medic- medicines, 
We're seeing some individuals now who are calling and they don't believe the numbers about the COVID. And so we're working with them, but the hard facts are there. And we see the the, the experience that some people are having with the hospitalizations, not being able to visit people. So, I mean, it's very real. And so um, gently working with individuals who are um, experiencing a difficult time with understanding what's happening now is another part of what we do. And then there's practical barriers such as lack of insurance. There's quite a few individuals who would seek out services if they could afford to, and they're not aware of some of the county-ran programs that allow access for them. So we at NAMI also share resources because basically that's what we do when people call. We give them the resources to connect them with services. And um, there's in most counties, there's an agency that helps people gain their insurance if they qualify for insurance. Or we have with uh, sliding scale services for people who need to um, go see someone and their income does not allow them to get Medi-Cal or some of the governmental entitlements. And then lastly, not lastly, but one of the uh, things that we see more often also is there's a sense of hopelessness. So sometimes to seek support, you have to have the energy to do so. And when people feel so defeated, they often don't even have the energy to go out. So there's this sense of hopelessness, like no one can help me. I've dealt with this my whole life. It's probably going to continue on. And so that's when, um, you know, we really have to work with them. And and NAMI, I'm going to share some programs we have, but the ones that work well for people who feel hopeless and for them seeing examples of other individuals who were where they are and now doing much better. So I'm going to be sharing some of the programs that specifically address that, not for the individuals that lives with mental illness only, but also for some of the family members and friends and loved ones who also need to know that sometimes it's a rough road for sure, but there can be some um, positive nuggets as well that come from forming uh, friendships and uh, the slogan for NAMI nationally, locally, forever and ever has always been, you are not alone. And people tend to do better when they realize they are not alone. So the history here of the NAMI is that in 1978, our NAMI CC uh, affiliate was kind of birthed. We didn't call it NAMI at that time. It went through a couple of name changes, but there were a couple of moms who got together in Wana Creek, I said moms. <laughs> and there's a history there. It's too bad, but often, I know when I went to college in my early years, I was still hearing the whispering about mental illness having something to do with how a mom raised her child. Of course, we know that that's not true, but some of the earlier work at NAMI Contra Costa County was um, some of the mothers writing letters to college campuses and sharing with the professors not to teach that uh, stereotype of the individual having a bad time because of something their mother did not do. So we have gone a long way. I think it's understood now that it's a medical condition and that you can't blame the mom. But in 1978, these moms got together. At the same time, not necessarily being aware of this in Wisconsin, Two other individuals, um, Beverly Young and Harriet Shelter, had also gotten together and they came up with the name of NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, to answer to their frustrations with the mental health care system. Uh, many of you know that here in California, 
And when Reagan was the uh, governor, there was deinstitutionalization. A great thing that happened after that was Tom Bates had the Bates bill. So that's when you started seeing people leave Napa State House Hospital. But then you also start seeing funding because social workers and others realized that these individuals needed a place of being a structure. Any and everyone, it's my belief that any and everyone has a purpose. And so connecting individuals to their purpose is really important. And so in the early 80s, that's when you start having programs like the clubhouse model and other models so that individuals who live with mental health had a place to belong and can do a structured work day. So in 84, uh, 1984, Iwana Creek is where the families further organized. So they kept organizing and then they landed in the 90s, 1990s with uh, joining the national affiliate of NAMI, NAMI National. So if you go to NAMI.org, you will see if you're um, in California or beyond, you can go to that website and you can see all the affiliates across the country. And there's actually 600 in the United States, more than 600 hundred in the United States. We in Contra Costa County, there's only one affiliate, but our neighboring county, Alameda, actually has four different NAMI affiliates. Okay, so now I'm going to get into some of the support that we offer by our educational courses. Several of them are evidence-based, meaning they've been tied, tested, and true, and we have to stick to fidelity. We have to offer these um, courses um, using the model that has been put forth, studied, and deemed to work best. So the first and most important, whenever family members call us, usually it's an adult, usually it's an adult child that's experiencing a difficult time. And the first thing we offer them is our family to family course. That's uh, really important. So I'm going to go through each of these courses pretty quickly, but remember this, family to family, because the next one, oops, I'm going to go back one more. The next one is our crash course. So we have family to family. We have family members coming. It used to be a 12-week course. Now it's an eight-week course, but there was an individual we call him Mr. Nami, Dave, and Dave realized along with, I think it was our uh, another group of individuals, but definitely our former um NAMI president's um, wife, Sharon Madison, got together with Dave and they led up the effort of a crash course. When individuals learn that their loved one is having a difficult time, it's really difficult to figure out what is going on. How do I navigate this county system? There's so many new acronyms and you don't understand them. So our crash course is designed to support individuals around how do they navigate the county system. At NAMI, uh, Contra Costa County, we offer this every Wednesday. You can find it on our website. It can be customized for other counties, but give credit to Dave if you do that. It, and, and it pretty much shares with individuals, this is what happens when your loved one first is starting to have signs. You might want to seek support at that level. But then it also goes through the steps. And sadly, this is a reality in this country. Most individuals wind up needing to use a law enforcement services in what we call the Welfare and Institutional Code Section 5150. There's been jokes made about it and all of that. You hear it in rap songs. But a 5150 is really when a person is a danger to themselves or others are gravely disabled. 
Many of our family members have loved ones who fall into the third category. They're gravely disabled. The truth is that individuals who live with mental health challenges are generally no more violent than any other individual, especially when they're untreated. When, when it's untreated, that's pretty much the only time when, they, when they're that acting out from the individuals. More often than not, they're victims of crime, not the, per- not the perpetrator, meaning the ones um, tongue-tied. They're not the individuals that instigate the crime or, or act out violently. Our media must do a much better job of, of, of reporting when individuals are having a difficult time. But anyway, our crash course helps individuals kind of navigate the system. And this slide is because we're always looking for additional facilitators to get the word out and for us to establish our crash course regionally. Our family family program is used to be 12 weeks. Now it's an eight week class. It's evidence based, as I shared, and it's designed to improve coping and problem solving abilities for the family members. So, of course, when individuals learn that their loved one is having a difficult time and they start seeing signs of psychosis, the damage that can be done in families is, is pretty um, severe, especially if you have to call law enforcement. So this class doesn't make any false promises to the family members. It shares with them some of the tools that they can use. It explains how the mind, how the brain works and what may be going on with their loved one. But more importantly, it brings people together to kind of come up with a plan for how they will support their loved one. And that's really important. So it's for families and their significant others. And it's taught in a class size of about 15 to 20, and the family members really get to know each other. They share what's going on and they learn how to support their loved one in an educational setting. So um, because of COVID-19, where we just had our, our uh, Mandarin, because we have Mandarin language, family to family, and we're gonna see how that works out. And we had to do it, of course, by Zoom virtually. And then we're gonna be rolling out. We have a great volunteer, Nancy, who's been coordinating our family to family for quite a while. We offer it in all the regions of our county and we're gonna, we can't wait any longer. Family members need us to take this course. So they've been calling us. So we're gonna be um, rolling that out fairly soon and we'll be doing it by way of Zoom and it's an eight week course, as I said. Then we have peer to peer. So just like family members need to learn what's going on with those, Peer refers to an individual who themselves live with a mental health challenge. And so that's a free, all of our programs are free because we're using volunteers. So that's also a free program and it offers 10 sessions of individuals who themselves have been diagnosed with a mental health challenge. And it's a, they come together and it's designed to empower them, to teach them about their illness and their journey. And it's a very recovery focused meaning that let's get the most out of your life based on the reality of you living with this diagnosis. In other words, the diagnosis doesn't define who you are. You may need to take medication, possibly for the rest of your life. You might need to see a therapist, possibly for the rest of your life, but let's empower you to also put some tools in your toolkit so you can be a partner in your wellness journey. So, and it's it is taught by other individuals who themselves have personal lived experience with a mental health diagnosis. It includes discussion, presentation, and really interactive uh, activities. Whenever we 
finish this. They celebrate with a meal. Uh, we're going to figure out a way to do that. Maybe a pizza coupon sent to all the graduates as we're in COVID-19. But you would look at our website and the website of the NAMI affiliate in your area to find the peer-to-peer. It's really an empowering. And again, remember, our slogan is you're not alone. So when people live with mental health challenges, they also need to know they're not alone. And they can also learn from someone who's been where they are. Then our NAMI basics course, uh, led by a wonderful former teacher and principal, Susan, is a free six-week class. And the NAMI is, the basics is designed for parents and loved ones, teachers, counselors of young people who are starting to maybe see signs that they are experiencing symptoms. Sometimes they're diagnosed, mostly it's in that worry stage, something may be going on with my uh, child. And so that's for ages, well, now it's zero to uh, 18 and school age. And the parents and the caregiver of children and teens really benefit a lot because imagine how isolating it would be for you to see this behaviors in your child and not have a place to go to learn about it. So that one is really difficult for me that we're offering it by Zoom, but NAMI National actually started a NAMI Basics and it makes sense for a family to be able to go and learn about what they might be experiencing with their child. But the difficult part for me with that one is when a parent, you know, experienced that their young child was having a difficult time. Often, if you're doing it on Zoom or COVID, the child may be, because of COVID-19, the child may be in the home with you. So one thing I say about the um, Zoom, it gave us some opportunities to reach more people but there's nothing like the human touch, a hug, a pass of a tissue when someone is having a difficult time. And so we're trying to figure out ways at NAMI to, you know, bring people together, even though they're separated because of our um, sheltering in place. But as I said, we have an excellent um, group of individuals who teach this class and a lot of them are former teachers. So they understand the dynamics. And as I said, our, our, our Mandarin program also offers the same um, basics and uh, family to family and even quarterly, they'll do a crash course. And when they're doing their family to family, they stick the same fidelity, but they customize it and adapt it for the culture of the Mandarin community to make sure that the individuals taking the course get it in a way that honors their culture, their history, and their heritage. And we have a great group of volunteers, um, Shelly and Lydia, and we had a um, an individual on our board who kind of kicked off a lot of the work that we do in the Mandarin community. And so that's really appreciated to make sure we're as inclusive as possible. Then we also have La Familia Familia, which is the Spanish language, um, family to family, and then basis, which is, and I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but basis, which is the um, the complement for the parents program. And so that too is done in Spanish and Espanol, and it's done by volunteers who have lived experience themselves, and they teach the uh the course in Spanish in a way that honors the culture and heritage of the Latinx community. And they do it with the same love and care, sticking to the um, fidelity of the programs to ensure that the family members get all that they need. 
And then FaithNet. So in addition to being the executive director for NAMI, I'm also the FaithNet coordinator. I don't think that's going to be for long. I have my eyes on a faith leader who I think would be an excellent coordinator for this. But what we've recognized is that individuals who live with mental health challenges, family members who have a loved one who lives with mental health challenges, often first turn to their faith community for support. So there's been some dynamic individuals, both nationally, statewide, and locally, who recognize this and put together this FaithNet program. It's an interfaith network, so individuals show up representing the uh, spiritual faith practices that they uh, connect to, and it's designed to improve the understanding of the faith community, right? I just said that when individuals are having a tough time, they turn to the faith community. So a lot of what we do with our faith net is train faith leaders from diverse groups of uh, practices to be supportive and have a better understanding of mental illness so that when people seek them out, they can gear them, steer them in the right direction is to bridge the gap. And so we provide trainings, we connect individuals and we honor all. And it's also uh, done in Spanish and in Mandarin. And then there's a specific um, training that I kind of cultivated a little bit more specific to the African-American community as well. I often remind people, although African-Americans also speak English, there are cultural differences. And sometimes when we're doing work, we have to be uh, honoring of that and use community-defined strategies that are uh, healing and honoring of other uh, faiths and other approaches outside of the Western approach. And Anami has allowed us to really grow the mental health friendly communities model for African-Americans, Latinx, Asian-Americans, et cetera, Native American, LGBT community. We've done it all. We're just very inclusive and embracing of all. And we often find out there's more similarities than differences. And in the silence is a program that we are really, we're just getting um, lifted up in a major way when COVID-19 hit. We were blessed to get some funding from the Danville Children's Guild. Um, and we were going to pair the funding that we got from them with the uh, NAMI's End in the Silence program, which is in-school presentations. So Often when young people are starting to experience a difficult time and may have some symptoms, Parents will see isolation and giving up on some of the things that were important to them. So school-based programs for young people are important. So this, we hired some young people reflective of the community, and we were all ready to have them go out and do in-school presentations and identify ambassadors that would work with them. And the idea is that we would be teaching middle and high school students about the signs and symptoms of mental illness so that when someone was having a difficult time, they would they would have ambassadors on site and they would work with the school counselors and they'd be able to understand that um, they could get support. So knowing the signs is a slogan that's been used here in California around suicide prevention. And we know how important it is for people to see the warning signs. We hired a great suicide prevention coordinator, Graham, who was really working with us around this. Only problem is he's, he's a transitioning age adult. So we went in and this, um, this, um, this model asked for someone 30 and younger. And although some of us 
feel like we can always connect with individuals no matter what. Sometimes it's really important to understand that people need to see people who look like them or in their own age range and they'll be easier to talk to them. So I'm still using words like hip and cool. I'm probably not even up to date with some of the uh, slang that's used on campuses now. So I would not be the right person as much as I would want to. So we have hired uh, in in NAMI uh, Contra Costa County, some young people who are just excited about getting this going. So now that school is back in session, even though it's distant learning, we're looking at creative ways to connect to those students because of course it's needed now more than ever. And so we're gonna be working with some of the guidance counselors and school counselors to try and do our presentations online. This is the uh, another program I, I kind of hinted about when a person is having a difficult time and they don't see light. Sometimes it's really important to connect with someone who themselves have been through what you're going through. So what we have is a program called In Our Own Voice, and it's led by this wonderful dynamic coordinator, um, Deborah, who um, came to NAMI. She was there before I got there, and she pulled together a wonderful group of individuals, and they followed the fidelity and the training of the In Our Own Voice program. And they go out and they share their stories of recovery. And as I said, stigma is a real pre, it's, it's a real uh, barrier for individual getting the support they need to do well. So what we've done is we have these individuals go out. They usually go to like settings like the hospital setting where people are there who are, have had a difficult time and they're on their healing journey and they're still hospitalized. And then they go to businesses and talk about um, their stories. But wherever it would benefit individuals to see someone who themselves live with a mental health challenge and who have conquered the roughest parts of it and are there to help others. Some people would call it testimonies. When we do these type of trainings for our mental health friendly communities, we always have a family member share their story, call it a testimony, and we have a person who lives with mental health, share their story. So uh, it's nothing like knowing that, okay, I'm here now, I'm not doing so well, but here this person who was where I am now, but who have done the work, right? They may have taken, uh, may have been uh, just prescribed medication, but chose not to take it. And they may have had many ups and downs until they realized, okay, I must take my medication. Or they were going to therapy and they stopped and then they may have decompensated. And now here's my story now that, uh, huh, if I'm going to get this right and be like the person that I just heard speak, I'm probably going to need to do something that align up with my healing in a way that will get me on the right track again. So that's one of my favorite programs. And we have it also available in Spanish. If you're looking at the slide, you do not want me to try and pronounce that, but it's a great program in our own voice. And um, I think if, if you're interested in that program, if you think that individuals you work with could benefit from that, because of a lot of the programs that we work with, sometimes the individuals are just beginning their healing services, even though they're an outpatient, we would go there um, and have Deborah would go with her team and, and um, share stories. Now, what's really important for families when they're having a difficult time and one of the, after 
telling people about family to family, I always say, and you know what, it might also be helpful for you to connect with a support group. So we have a we have many support groups, but um, they, right now because we're on Zoom, there's probably a support group that will meet anyone who would be looking for one um, right now by way of Zoom. I know we do a family support group on Mondays, every Monday. We do one specific to a men's group. We we have one that's for individuals who have co-occurring diagnosis. That means they live with both the mental health as well as some substance abuse. And while we're talking about substance abuse, let me just share. Individuals who live with substance abuse is quite common in mental health. Uh, I was speaking to someone earlier today and she was saying, oh, my son, maybe he started using drugs. I said, well, even if he did, you've just shared with me, he lives with the diagnosis of bipolar. I'm not excusing the using of illicit drugs that are prescribed, but I understand why people do because sometimes the voices and the symptoms associated with having a mental illness causes a person to seek out solutions like alcohol, like marijuana, like even more harmful uh, illicit drugs. And, you know, sadly, because of where we are in COVID-19, there's been a, an increase in overdosing of illicit drugs. Some in this um, state are more popular than others, but there's been an opioid addiction we've talked about for quite a while now. So sometimes when families come in for support, they need to hear from another family, oh, yes, my child also was um, using drugs and they needed a co-occurring program, meaning one that addressed both the mental health as well as. Studies have shown that 70 to 75% of individuals who live with mental health challenges have some underlying uh, co-occurring issues. So we have to not be a judgmental. We do need to encourage the individual not because, of course, it interferes with their ability to be treated well with the medication that they take. But there needs to be an understanding of why individuals might uh, self-medicate. And so um, I'm not for people who live with mental health and they smoke pot. It's, it's discouraged because why? It exacerbates the symptoms. But parents need to understand why a child might do that. But then talk to them about maybe not even just a child, but talk to them about why it's not helpful. So I just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. But anyway, our support groups are made from family members, partners, and friends of individuals who live with um, mental health challenges. We offer it in Spanish, Mandarin, and Cantonese. And it says here, coming soon, a support group specifically to address the needs of African-Americans. This is an older slide. I should have read through it because I started this group already. So I facilitate a support group in my home in Antioch, and I started about a year ago. And... Uh, Sometimes you look at the community and then you look at the specific needs that they have, as I shared earlier. And for the African-American community, I started noting quite a few of those family members, loved ones, were incarcerated while living with mental illness. And uh, I'll just speak to the implicit bias that takes place where certain communities get their services in the most restricted environment. So since we were getting so many phone calls from African-Americans who their Loving children were diagnosed um, with mental health, but then they were criminalized for living with the diagnosis. I thought it was important to have a specific African-American support group, and it's been pretty uh, helpful to me and other family members who attend 
being able to share some of the fr frustrations, but also do some of the advocacy that need that's needed to work on um, having individuals not be criminalized for living with a mental health challenge. I started talking about this. All of our supports are delivered in a manner consistent with the cultural val values of the families we serve. So at NAMI CC, if, if we pick up the phone and it's a person who doesn't speak our language, we're going to do our best to get someone who does speak that language. So we have a language line. After COVID-19 started, our warm line has become a little warmer because we try and respond to those calls within an hour, an hour and a half with staff. So it comes through our line. We enhanced our ability to speak the language by um adding in a Spanish language line for individuals to leave messages, as well as one for the Chinese speaking community. Um, counties have what's called threshold languages in Contra Costa County only have the two, English and Spanish, but at NAMI, because we, we knew of the great need in the Asian Pacific Islander community, we have gotten ahead of that and um, make sure that we have staffing reflective as well as removing language barrier also for API languages. So there's an acknowledgement, right, that there's glaring health disparities for, for, for individuals from the um, 1999 Surgeon General Report. So at NAMI, we, again, utilize culturally honoring and what I call community-defined approaches, meaning the community will often share with you things that have worked for them that may not be a part of the traditional approaches that you would find in a therapy office and a, um, in a, I guess there's no ethnopharmacology. So when they give medications, it's really important for the family to be able to share, oh, like we know that for African-Americans, they metabolize their meds slower. So it's really important. I tell the African-American families to make sure you're getting the right dosage. When a guy is real big, you know, he might need a little bit more because of his size. But then if you're a small person, female, you may need a little less than what's standard. So communicating that in certain cultures do metabolize a little different. So we continue with, uh, you know, working to make sure that we're at NAMI Contra Costa meet, meeting people where they're at and not always using a one-size-fit-all approach. And uh, I, that's what I've enjoyed so much about working there, that I've been allowed to make sure that we are inclusive of our communities. Okay, now we get to the politics and the advocacy. Well, we're a 501c3, so politics-wise, we're not going to be endorsing anyone. That's not a part of what we're allowed to do. But it's real important for us to stop stigma and where you will find us is advocating for services that are fair and equitable for people who live with mental illness. And as I shared earlier, that's where I really step up because some time ago, I learned when I bite my tongue, I taste my own blood. And that didn't make sense to me. So if I see a problem, no matter what community it is I'm working with, and if, I, if my voice can lend to solutions, I just feel like that's what I'm going to do. And so I do. One of the things we're working on now is stopping gun violence. We, because of where we are in this country, a lot of people have talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and African-Americans, um, unarmed African-Americans being shot and killed sometimes by law enforcement. And so 
we're aligning ourselves. We've always, as I said, known that people living with mental illness are more likely to be victims of gun violence than perpetrators. I've said that already, still said the word incorrectly, even though it's spelled right in front of me. Okay, forgive me for that one. But we, we know that. We also know those who do commit violent acts are typically untreated. So if you hear about a person who lived with a mental health uh, challenge and they it was documented and they did some violent act, they likely were untreated. And so we want to stop criminalizing mental illness because it's what? It's a medical condition. And whenever you have medical conditions, you have to treat it as such. So one of the things we've really been working on lately is advocating for a non-police response. People with untreated mental illness are six times more likely to be um, have a police encounter than civilians. Fewer than one in 50 U.S. adult individuals with untreated are involved in at least one in four of those cases of police shooting. And then reducing encounters between on-duty law enforcement and individuals with the most severe uh, mental health challenges represent the most immediate practical strategy for reducing fatal police shootings, okay? So more often than unarmed African-American men, people with mental illness are shot and killed. And that people don't necessarily understand that, but it is a truth. Statistically, it's a truth. So imagine if you're an African-American and you live with mental illness, that what increases your odds. So here in Contra Costa County, there was an unfortunate um, tragedy of a young man named Miles Hall who was um, shot and killed by police in Walnut Creek while he was experiencing a mental health. So we're really pushing now to have a non-police response. Now, as a person who's seen mental illness, worked in the field for as long as I have, I know there is sometimes there will be a need for a police intervention when a person is armed. But what we need to be working on is when a person is not armed, when a family member has called and said, my loved one living with a mental illness is having a difficult time. Can you come out? I don't think there should ever be a time where where cops show up and the person's unarmed and they get out of the car with guns. I think we need to look at less lethal ways to actually, you know, work with that individuals. And we need to look at models that do that. So you're here talk of Oakland. They're going to use the cahoots model. Um, and Walnut Creek, they have put up some funding for us to start doing uh, some studying around what works best for Contra Costa County. And I'm really excited about the opportunity. And um, when I look at NAMI and where NAMI needs to go, we need to partner with agencies, advocacy groups that are leading in the direction of improving the quality of life for people who live with mental illness. And I can't think of anything more frightening than a mom, dad, love someone who loves someone than to be frightened to call for support. And so Contra Costa County does have some programs in place, but we need to expand them to better meet the need. How do you become a part of NAMI? Well, I can tell you how you can become a part of NAMI Contra Costa. Uh, Susan will be happy that I included this in the slide because we're always recruiting. We gave the statistics. One in five individuals are um, impacted by mental illness. That means likely someone you know and love 
or someone who you know and love has somebody that they know who lives with mental illness. So to be a member is pretty easy. You would go to our website, which is namicontracosta.org, and you would simply donate um, the $5 for open memberships, no question asked. Not donate, I guess you're paying for a membership. They're one-year memberships, but you do the you do the uh, $5, no questions X, that's more around your ability to pay, or your $40, which is for an individual, or $60, which is for a family. And um, it makes you eligible to vote in our NAMI elections. It gives you a subscription to the national uh, NAMIs. It's called the Advocate, and it's a lot of useful information. And it's, it's our flagship magazine, as well as it gives you subscription to other specialty newsletters. Like we have hired a young woman who was a journalist, Ashley, and she does a great uh, major in journalism in college. She does a great job of building up our e-newsletter. And so we get an electronic newsletter. And then we have Dave, who still pushes, even with COVID-19, for us to do our paper newsletter and our paper newsletter is full of useful information and we highlight what's going on. We do a lot of advocacy around how dollars are spent. And our goal is to make sure that we're spending the dollars in a way consistent with improving the quality of life for people who live with mental illness. And then um, we have had uh, opportunity to go to annual conventions it was going to be in Georgia this year, and I was looking forward to it, but they're always in the summer, so COVID-19 disrupted that. And then the one for the state, I think they put both of them online, but it's nothing like coming to a place and seeing other people who share a common, common um, goal as you do around advancing efforts to improve the quality of life and for those who live with mental illness. And I did get permission today to give a big shout out to two individuals in Contra Costa County, Teresa and Lauren, who've done an amazing amount of work around trying to find appropriate housing because that's the number one issue for families who live with someone or who love someone who lives with mental illness. We have a big homelessness issue in this country and a large number of those individuals are living on the streets and they live with mental illness. So. We're hoping you will become a NAMI Contra Costa County member. And now I'm going to pass this back to, um, to our facilitator. And I'm going to ask um, you all, which probably I should have did a little earlier. If you have questions, you'd have to put them in the chat box, right? And then we have a little more time for uh, Patrick to ask me some questions, which I hope I can answer. Well, that was excellent. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you very Thanks, much. Uh, you know, I worked in community mental health in uh, Alameda County, San Francisco County. Both of them have wonderful NAMI programs, uh, great resources for my clients and patients, depending whether I was working in outpatient or a hospital. The NAMI was very helpful to me in both of those counties. And you do have a question. Uh, somebody wants to know, are the courses you mentioned available only in Contra Costa County, or would comparable ones be available in other counties? Okay, so most NAMI affiliates offer the family to family. I can't think of one that does it because not our Contra Costa County has more volunteers. We're able to actually offer each of the ones that I mentioned. 
But now remember, we're in COVID-19, so none of us have a problem with sharing resources. If someone wanted to call and, ha- and need help identifying in their region, any of those courses, they can call NAMI California and get connected, or they can call us and we'll do the work for them. But not all of the affiliates have the resources to offer as much as we can in Contra Costa County. The average, I think 40% of the uh, affiliates in California have a budget less than 50000 So they're not able to, even with volunteers, offer as much. I see. I I will say for the people who are listening in the San Francisco Bay Area, I do know that Alameda County is immensely helpful to clients and patients of mine. San Francisco County as well. Wonderful resource for both of those counties. And I'm going to presume that all of the counties in the Bay Area are, are, are similar. Another question that's come in is... Um, does NAMI do liaison with the jail? Definitely. Um, more and more lately, right? Because we're focusing our attention. Oh, I know I'm focusing mine on not criminalizing individuals that live with mental health. So there's actually a statewide program called Stand Up. And our NAMI California director, Jessica Cruz, sits on the California Criminal Justice Mental Health Advisory Board. So that's a group that meets monthly, and there's been more and more uh, discussion about not criminalizing people because they have a mental health challenge. So let's continue advocacy there. Okay, well, thank you. I think we have time for one more question. Um, and somebody wanted to know about the, the lobbying efforts that NAMI, you mentioned it, you did mention it in your presentation, but the lobbying uh, for for more just laws, for more funding, for uh, less decreasing stigmatization. Can you can you address that, please? Well, I'll say in, in Contra Costa County, we actually have an individual by the name of Doug, who is our legislative person. So if it's something happening around mental health and legislation and a need to lobby, he's going to let us know. We're going to write letters. We're going to do the campaigning we need to do to make sure that uh, the politicians hear from us around what we think they should be doing. I mean, and um, Contra Costa County, much like Alameda County, I participated in getting that assistant outpatient treatment programs, which is really important, right? For those who have loved ones who are not at a place where they can get support on their own, the assistant outpatient treatment. So we went to each board of supervisor and spoke to them about why they should have this. And so, yeah, lobbying may be, you know, the cousin of advocacy. So we definitely do that. See, and the national organization, the national NAMI, does that also lobby like the federal government for? Oh, yeah. Most affiliates, you know, have a legislative person. So California has a point person as well as national probably has more for different subjects that would be of interest to family members. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, Another question. Have you ever seen an increase in demand for services? as we're experiencing right now? Never, ever. What I do, because I know that, you know, people get my name. I give out my cell phone, which I don't have a problem doing it now, if it's okay. 510-990-2670. Because we don't want to see people suffer. And the call volume has increased tremendously. And because I work for a county system, I have some resources at my fingertip that others may not have. 
It's all about reducing the worry, the harm, the stress of individuals and trying to help them see light sometimes when sometimes it feels like it's darkness. Our slogan is you are not alone. And if I got to be woken up at 3.30 a.m. to remind a family member they're not alone, I'm willing to do that. Well, thank you, Ms. Crowder. You know, oddly enough, we are out of time. So I want to thank you for an excellent presentation. And I do encourage people who are watching this to contact their, if they have further questions, to uh, contact their local chapter of NAMI. You're going to find that that every chapter will be helpful. So thank you very yes, much and thank you. what a delight. All right. Thanks. And that ends our presentation for today. Thank you. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.